It is now time for Inside Bill's Mind with Bill Chase. And now, here he is, the man who believes in you more than Amanda Marshall ever will, Bill Chase. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Podcast Announcer, and welcome to Inside Bill's Mind, the podcast that chronicles whatever the hell is on my mind. Well, I did a recent episode on the Toronto Maple Leafs trade trees of their three most popular players of their of a certain era, being, of course, Lanny McDonald, Tiger Williams, and Daryl Sittler. Trade trees are fun to do. Again, Steve Dangle of Sportsnet does a superb job, better than I'll ever do, I'll even admit. That's where uh, I got. I was inspired to do this from. So again, for those who want to complain, I'm stealing the idea. Again, I'm acknowledging it's not my idea. Okay, I just I think it's a lot of fun to do because they're a lot of fun to watch. And I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of trades you can really go through here and the long-term effects they had. I mean, on the check out the least one in the archives here, by the way. I found out that a certain trade led to two members of the New Jersey Devils, two key members of the New Jersey Devils Stanley Cup winning teams becoming a part of that organization. So there you go. You just never know where these trade trees are going to lead. But rather than focus on three different players, I'm focusing on just one. Larry Murphy was one of the greatest defensemen of his time, even if Leaf fans say otherwise. Fact of the matter is, he had a commanding presence on ice in terms of starting rushes and adding presence uh, in just overall when it came to offensive power. Larry Murphy was indeed part of the era of the offensive defenseman, but even as that era was starting to fade, he never lost his touch right until the end of his career. He played 21 amazing seasons and was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame first year on the ballot. So there you go. However, he has been traded a lot for many different reasons. He has played for six teams total and been traded a total of five times. Now, to begin with some, some context here, Murphy was a top junior prospect spending many great years with the Peterborough Peets. Now, of course, Peterborough Peets are, uh, again, one of the most legendary teams uh, of the of the Ontario Junior Hockey Leagues, and you know what? He had great seasons there. He had actually 21 goals and 68 assists for 89 points in 68 games in 1979-80, his um, only full season there. Or, sorry, his only full season, his last full season there, I meant to say, and even played in not one, but two Memorial Cup tournaments. So there you go. So Murphy definitely was on the radar of a lot of teams, so much so that he was picked fourth overall in the 1980 NHL entry draft by the Los Angeles Kings, a team that was starting to build a very formidable organization. They had that triple crown line of Marcel Dion, Charlie Simmer, and Dave Taylor. The only thing that was really hindering the team in a lot of ways was injuries and a lack of defense. But look at the guys that were selected ahead of Murphy in this draft. Now, Doug Wickenheiser, to be fair, the late Doug Wickenheiser, to be fair, despite the fact that he didn't really pan out the way people hoped, was a top junior prospect. Again, in drafts, nothing is a guarantee sometimes. But Dave Babich, Dave Babich became an all-star defenseman in his own right, too, had a really good career. Denny Savard, one of the all-time greats, was just selected one ahead of Larry Murphy. And of course, then Larry Murphy was fourth, but even look, you look at the rest of this draft class, Paul Coffey was drafted sixth, that's two after Murphy, by the Edmonton Oilers. So again, this is quite the draft class we're, we're looking at here. And uh, either way, so Larry Murphy, again, high, uh, high-end high pick in the draft. 
the LA Kings definitely could benefit for having him around. Like, like I said, the LA Kings were starting to turn themselves into a winner. They finally found a, an all-star goaltender in Mario Lessard, who had a really good year in 80-81. Larry Murphy's rookie year, I want to go over that just quickly, in LA. He had 16 goals and 60 assists for 76 points in his rookie year as a defenseman. That rookie scoring record for defensemen is still held by Murphy to this day. Unbelievable. So he had presence from the get-go. He was a finalist for the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year, but uh, sadly would not win it. Lost to Peter Stastny, but again, obviously you could see why that would happen. So, logically, you'd think that LA is really trying to build up a winner here. They had a really good season in 80-81. Sadly, however, Charlie Simmer went down due to uh, an injury. And... Um, that pretty much ended their season. They choked in the playoffs. And L.A. just kind of went on a downward trend after that. That would pretty much continue with a few little improvements here and there, but nothing really significant and wouldn't truly end until the arrival of a certain fellow that wore the number 99. Okay, so how this is going to work. Now, okay, um, we're going to start with the team that Murphy was traded from. So as soon as uh, so for the first trade, of course, it's going to be from L.A. to Washington in just a second. So we're going to go over how the team that traded him benefited from the trade first. Then we go to the team that he's traded to and how he did there. And that'll move, of course, to the next trade and so on and so on. All right. So let's get right down to it. The trades of Larry Murphy. Now, in his time in L.A., Larry Murphy spent... Three full seasons of L.A. and just a few games into his fourth season, he would be traded. In his time there, in 242 games played, Larry Murphy scored 207 points. Fantastic numbers, indeed. Always high in the high end of the plus-minus stats as well. Murphy was always known for that. So without any further ado, we get to the first trade. Larry Murphy is sent to the Washington Capitals on October 18, 1983. For Brian Engblom and Ken Houston. Now, the Ken Houston part of the trade tree actually ends really quick because he only played 33 games for the LA Kings, had 16 points, he was a right winger, actually had a really good uh, run of years with the Atlanta Flames, and even their first couple years in Calgary, he was still there with them. He was an, uh, he averaged pretty much 20 goals a year, so he was useful in that way. Again, one of those players that was a good hand to have in your team to add a little something to it, give it a little depth. He also had a little toughness to it, too, a little aggression as well, that also helped a lot of teams um, evolve. <laughs> help his, easy for me to say, help his teams evolve. He actually did really well in the 81 playoffs when the Calgary Flames had that miracle run to the semifinals that year. Uh, the year they upset Philly in the second round, uh, but sadly were eliminated by the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, he had 15 points in 16 games the 81 playoffs, but I think injuries added up. 83-84 uh, would be the only season he'd play for the Kings, and he would retire from hockey. Sadly, however, uh, Ken Houston died at the age of 64 in March 2018 uh, of cancer. So that part of the tree is over. Didn't really amount to much, sadly. Poor Ken. But we go to Brian Engblom. Now, Brian Engblom was an all-star defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he was also part of two Stanley Cup winning teams out of the four in a row Montreal played in. 
uh, in the late 70s. So he was a big part of those teams as well. A stay-at-home defenseman. Didn't rack up huge stats that way. It was really tough as well. Very durable, hard-nosed, stay-at-home blue liner. It was actually part of a blockbuster trade along with Rod Langway that was sent to the Washington Capitals. Uh, I'll probably talk about that on a future episode. But either way... Engblom, again, so I'm not going to really go over his uh, you know, stats too much because well, that's not what he was known for. But either way, the Los Angeles Kings got 202 games out of Engblom during his run there. He was very reliable for their defense, probably the most consistent defenseman they had uh, through this uh, now dark era of the Kings. And uh, was actually key in actually giving them a, a winning record and a playoff berth in 84-85 after some disappointing seasons. But uh, Engblom was part of the Washington Capitals uh, at the time he did there, uh, before he came to the Kings. He was also doing really well on a, on, a, on a great defensive core there that included a very young Scott Stevens, Rod Langway. So there you go. So he was really in his element in Washington. So LA was a change of venue for him. And sadly, without Murphy to kind of tag along with, you didn't. Really, the Kings didn't have the strongest defense back then. As you can see, as their high-scoring uh, rivals in the Smite division, which included a certain team called the Edmonton Oilers, uh, definitely took them apart on many occasions. So, however, uh, Brian, so Brian Engblom spent a total of three seasons with the LA Kings, one complete season. Although you can kind of say the '83, '84 one was too, because he spent most of it there. But still. In terms of a whole season, he only spent really one there. And he was traded. He would be traded on January 29, 1986, which at the halfway point of the 85-86 season to the Buffalo Sabres for... And he was traded along with Doug Smith. He was traded for Ken Baumgartner, Sean McKenna, and Larry Playfair. We'll start with Larry Playfair. Now, Larry Playfair was actually a very aggressive defenseman who was very popular with fans in Buffalo. He can to uh, he can drop the he can drop the gloves too, and he was known for that, especially. But still, he added a lot of toughness to the team he was on, and he was called upon when needed to assert himself in a given situation. That's the kind of player he really was. So they the, so the Kings really score some toughness here because I believe yet um, even though they had Tiger Williams at this point. But either way, it's still not a bad, uh, not a bad uh, um, trade to make for someone of uh, that skill level, and uh, I, maybe Engblom was worth it. Now, Playfair actually spent a total of four seasons with the LA Kings, and I should say parts of four seasons because they weren't all complete seasons, and he was injured often. He only played 91 games in those four seasons, so that's barely a complete season plus uh, so-and-so games. So, I guess the Kings, after that amount of time, despite the fact that he added that much-needed toughness, and especially, probably could have been something, uh, adding maybe a bodyguard aspect to Wayne Gretzky, who just arrived there, but he only played six games alongside Gretzky in his final season with the Kings. And in the 88-89 season, Playfair was traded back to the Buffalo Sabres on October 21st, 1988, for Robert Logan and a 1989 ninth-round draft pick Jim Glason. Now, uh, Jim Glason would never play one single NHL game, and Robert Logan uh, actually only would play four games for the Kings 
and would not score anything in any of those games. Again, he was a right winger. Uh, had a pretty good run at Yale University, actually, in their hockey program. Uh, had some good minor league seasons with the Rochester Americans of the AHL, but sadly never went much further than that. He ended up finishing his career in Europe in the early 90s. So there you go. So not much out of Larry Playfair after that, but then again, they didn't really get much out of Playfair to begin with, so maybe that kind of evens out. So next up, we have Sean McKenna. Now, McKenna was, you know, just more of a, you know, again, a good hand. He was good. He's a decent grinding forward, you know, uh, again, good on, like, those third lines or whatever. Uh, 20, he was, you know, he had a couple of good 20-goal seasons here. Again, so, like I said, he was a good hand, uh, reliable that way. He was uh, a prospect in the uh, junior leagues for the Sherbrooke Castors. Actually had 104 points in the season for them. But uh, with the LA Kings, however, he only had 42 points in 129 games. Didn't really develop into much of what they were hoping for, and he would soon be gone. Now, McKenna would be traded on December 14, 1987, to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just a one-to-one deal with uh, Mike Allison being the one that they traded for coming to the Kings. Now, Mike Allison... Uh, started out pretty good in his rookie season with the New York Rangers. Uh, 64 points in 75 games in 1980-81, but after that, his point production slipped dramatically, but he became a reliable grinding forward on the penalty kill for many of the teams that uh, he would play for throughout his career, including the Rangers, as well as the Toronto Maple Leafs, even. Uh, I will say this, however, even though I'm not really going to go over too much of uh, Allison's stats, I will, I actually, maybe I should, because he had 77 points in 147 games. Again, considering his previous years with other teams like the Rangers, not bad. And these were actually some of his best offensive seasons outside of his rookie year, especially his uh, first two seasons with L.A., where he actually did have a lot of injury issues throughout his time there. And so for Mike Allison... Uh, he would actually get sent to the minors um, late in his career in the 89-90 season and would retire shortly after uh, at the age of 29. So there you have that. Mike Allison uh, also has gone on to coaching on different levels of hockey, and he even did a, had a stint as a color commentator for the Kings, so he still did okay for himself, but that's where this part of the branch is cut off. So next up, Ken Baumgartner. Now the Englund part of the trading Englund away isn't exactly working out the greatest for the Kings, although they're getting a little bit uh, out of some of the players here, especially um, uh, McKenna and Allison. But now we go to Ken Baumgartner, and I know, oh boy, I've never, I'll say this right now, I've never liked Ken Baumgartner if, uh, for any reason. I, I, his personality was very interesting, to say the least, actually. He was very entertaining in that regard. Did some really funny commercials in that, but I don't know, as a hockey player, I never cared for the guy. And I probably never will. So, <laughs> even though he's long since retired, either way, he was he was a he was a goon, but a very good one. Uh, again, when I say goon, I don't always mean a bad. Like there are goons, there are knuckle draggers. He kind of walked that fine line. Uh, but either way, Baumgartner, hey, he had a he had a long career. He played close to 700 NHL games, and with the LA Kings, uh, he spent a fair stint there actually. So Baumgartner would spend parts of three seasons with the Kings, and I say that because he also had a lot of stints in the minors with the New Haven Nighthawks of the AHL. Uh, in 91 games over the course of those three seasons, he racked up well over 500 penalty minutes. But again, that was his role, so we can't say he didn't do his job, I guess, whatever it may have been. Uh, but he would, however, end up being traded partway into the 1989-90 season, along with Hubie McDonough, for Miko McKella of the New York Islanders. 
Now, Mikko Mikkela was a top junior prospect who had great success in Europe. He's from Finland, European import. Uh, he was he started out pretty well with the New York Islanders in his first couple seasons there. Had a very productive rookie season. Then he had a nice sophomore season. Then his uh, best year was actually his third season where he had 76 points in 73 games. But really didn't amount to much in Los Angeles. He had 21 goals in 45 games, which isn't terrible. But certainly not the... Um, Certainly not on a level that I'm sure that a lot of people were hoping he would be, uh, but he had spent most of his rest of his career uh, in Europe, uh, actually. But however, he would have have a stint with, and I'm getting to it in a second for this part of the trade tree uh, with Miko Mikkela. Now, despite the fact that he had spent most of the rest of his career in Europe, he did have a stint with the team that L.A. was about to trade his rights to, and that would be the Buffalo Sabres. And on September 30th, 1990, just before the 1991 season was about to get underway, they traded McKella for Mike Donnelly. And the Kings would actually get a lot of use out of Mike Donnelly over the course of five seasons uh, with the L.A. Kings. He played a total of 307 games, and he'd have 170 points. Not bad. He was a hard-working forward, uh, mainly used sometimes in second lines and third and third lines and whatnot. Uh, sometimes they'd even put him uh, alongside Gretzky on some shifts, and he would really benefit from that. And so would Gretzky. Again, very hard-working forward, good on the penalty kill as well. Uh, very effective in uh, checking aspects of the game as well. So, again, this was actually a kind of a steal in a lot of ways for the Kings. Donnelly didn't really look like too much on paper. He hadn't really done all that much uh, in his stints with uh, either the Rangers or the Sabres, although maybe he just wasn't really being given a chance. He was doing really, he did really well with the Rochester Americans, actually, in the AHL uh, before arriving in Los Angeles. So yeah, Donnelly actually spent uh, a very productive five seasons with the LA Kings, helped them get to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1992-93. As a matter of fact, he had 13 points in 24 games uh, in that Stanley Cup Final run where they lost to the Habs, but either way, still a very effective part of that team. So this trade tree so far working out not too bad for LA, despite the fact that they gave up a great defenseman, Larry Murphy. LA at least still got something out of it in the long term. As we're into the 90s here now, uh, 10 years after this trade, this initial trade between Engblom and Murphy, the two principal members of the trade, took place. However, they would end up trading Mike Donnelly at the beginning of the strike short in 94 95 season to the Dallas Stars, along with a seventh round draft pick which didn't end up uh, panning out much for the Stars, for a fourth-round draft pick in 1996, which ended up being Justin Davis. Uh, he didn't play a game for the Kings at all. They didn't really attain his rights. As a matter of fact, I believe he ended up in Washington for the end of the draft, as a matter of fact. So that's how this ends. So again, the Kings still got quite a bit of mileage out of this, going right up to 1996-97 almost. And that's the fact, because Mike Donnelly's career actually didn't last. I know that trade ended up being nothing for him, but uh, Mike Donnelly was pretty much retired uh, by 2000, and his NHL career was actually done by the end of 1997. So there you go. Um, so the LA Kings actually did not pan out near as bad as I thought they would in this trade, to be honest with you. They got a lot, of, especially from the Brian Engblom end of things. So, and they even got a player who helped them to the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, in the, for what many years until they actually won the damn thing in 2012 was their only finals appearance. So, there you have that. So, now we go to the principal man of this trade tree, the subject of this show, Larry Murphy on the Washington Capitals, and boy, did they benefit from this trade. 
And some would say, and they might even be right, uh, though it's argued, which for another team we'll get to in a little bit, that these were Larry Murphy's best years. And it's, it is hard-pressed to argue that. He was part of a Washington Capitals defensive core that consisted of him along with Rod Langway and Scott Stevens. That's three tried-and-true Hall of Famers. Now, Langway's best years were with the Caps, of course, but some would argue Stevens' best years. Well, no, there's not no arguable point about it. Sorry, I scratched that. Stevens' best years were with the Devils. But that being said... His years with Washington are overlooked because of that, and he had a fantastic run there as well. So again, this defense was one of the best in the league at that time, but sadly, the Capitals as a whole were never able to get past a certain point, despite being a consistent 100-point team some years, or if they weren't 100 points, they were in the 90s or even a little higher, close to 100. Regardless, the Capitals were always a contender every single year when Murphy was there. This defensive core was off the charts, but sadly, just that will to win, some goaltending problems, and a few other um, and you know star players up front not producing in the playoffs. Uh, even in the playoffs, Murphy produced for the most part, but again, maybe not on the level that some would hope, as a matter of fact, or that he would later in his career. But regardless of this, so Larry Murphy actually spent six seasons with the Washington Capitals. When overall complete seasons, it was four, but again, most of his time, even those incomplete seasons were spent there. Like I said, he spent most of the years there that were incomplete when he was traded to and then from the Capitals. And we'll get to that in just a second here as this trade tree continues to follow Larry Murphy, one of the all-time great defensemen. But in 453 games with the Capitals, Larry Murphy had 345 points, continuing his reputation as one of the best offensive defensemen in the game. He was a first-team All-Star in the 86-87 season. Um, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, second-team All-Star yeah, it's still, it's still great, regardless. But it was the first time he'd been selected to an all-star team. And keep in mind, he's playing in an era with guys like his teammate, Lin Langway, who's considered to be the best stay-at-home defenseman of that time. Uh, Ray Bork, Paul Coffey, guys who are racking up amazing stats offensively as well. But Murphy added all elements to the game and can play all ends of the ice. Paul Coffey, in my opinion, couldn't do, do it all that well sometimes. He was inconsistent in some of the defensive aspects of the game, in my opinion. Regardless, Paul Coffey was still great. I'm not saying he wasn't. He's one of the best uh, best in his position at that time and was perfect for his era. And I'm probably going to do a subject of his numerous trades. But either way, so I'm, I'm moving forward here. So Larry Murphy would eventually be traded by the Washington Capitals in the biggest blockbuster trade on this subject of Larry Murphy. So, and this was actually one of the biggest blockbuster trades of this era. And here it is. This was at the end, towards the end of the 88-89 season. As a matter of fact, it was March 7th, 89, the trade deadline that year. So the Washington Capitals trade Larry Murphy and Mike Gartner in exchange for Dino Cicerelli and Bob Rouse. You have three Hall of Famers in this trade. And Bob Rouse who, to his credit, was a very tough and aggressive defenseman and very reliable on whatever team uh, he was on. So as I said, we're going to do on this show, we are going to, uh, again, go through the, start with the team that Murphy was traded from. In this case, that's the Capitals. So again, this is a huge trade. Trades like this, uh, again, those these are the headline makers on trade deadline day. It's part of the inspiration. As This trade can also be credited for one of the reasons why deadline day is such a huge day because, again, the ramifications behind it. You had 
Mike Gartner, one of the best speedy forwards of his time, a natural goal scorer with pure skill, over 700 goals in his career, and a hall, like I said, a Hall of Famer. And of course, in exchange, you're getting Dino Cicerelli, again, an aggressive, just unforgiving power forward. Again, another Hall of Famer, over 600 goals in his career. And Bob Rouse, a defenseman who ended up having over 1,000 games played and was just very tough, plain and simple. So, without any further ado, we are going to get to the Washington Capitals part of this trade. And we are going to start with Bob Rouse. Now, Bob Rouse would end up spending three seasons in Washington, parts of three seasons. He would end up playing a total of 130 games in those three seasons. He was key on the Washington playoff run. Now, again, he's on a tough blue line with Scott Stevens, but he was key in Washington's run to the conference finals in the 89-90 season. So he was very instrumental in that regard. But his time in Washington wouldn't last long. As partway through the 1990-91 season, uh, Bob Rouse, along with Peter Zezel, on January 16, 1991, is traded for Al Iafrady. That's right. The defenseman with probably the most terrifying shot next to Al McInnes. Maybe even, I even thought Iafrady's shot was even more terrifying than McInnes's in some ways. But, of course, history's been kinder to Al McInnes than it has been to Al Iafrady. Uh, Al Iafrady was very popular in Toronto for many years. Uh, again, uh, but sadly, personal animosity with other players in the locker room led to him ultimately being traded, specifically uh, Gary Lehman. A lot of Leaf fans know that story. That's another podcast for another day. But Ally Afraidy, what a pickup here again. So uh, I'd say this is also kind of a, a blockbuster trade because again, Peter Zezel at the time was uh, uh, pretty much an elite forward in the NHL, I'd say. And again, Bob Ross giving up a really tough defenseman who helped you just for your recent playoff run. But now the, that's the thing. So the Devils, or sorry, the Devils, the Capitals, because I thought of Scott Stevens. The Capitals were now without Scott Stevens. He was actually on the Blues. He was actually in the midst of a one-year stint with the St. Louis Blues. Now, in that regard, however, I would say that you needed some. You needed somebody that had a vicious shot. You needed someone who could really, again, be a protecting of your goalie, and Ali Afridi was that guy. Toronto didn't have the greatest defensive prowess overall at this point, but he was anchoring the whole blue line and doing a pretty damn good job of it. So again, this is a great deal for Washington. As uh, Also, he provided an offensive spark that was also had been left behind with both the departures of uh, Murphy and Stevens in these years. So uh, that's what I mean. This was a great find for the Washington Capitals. Ali uh, Afridi's stats... In four seasons with the Capitals, uh, two complete seasons, um, so he would end up playing 256 games, 176 points. So again, not bad. I afraid he has some of his best offensive seasons uh, with the Capitals. Uh, actually, it was his career high, 92-93. He would represent the Capitals at the NHL All-Star Game twice, both in 92-93-93-94. However, at the trade deadline for the 93-94 season, I afraid he would part the team. Because at the trade deadline in the 93-94 season... Oh boy, this one is a doozy. It's going to be one of the worst trades in NHL history, but on paper, it actually was a blockbuster. 
The Washington Capitals would send Ally Afridi to the Boston Bruins on March 21, 1994 for Joe Juno. Now, Joe Juno was a huge prospect, but this trade ended up bombing for both teams. Ally Afridi suffered a bad knee injury and would actually miss two years and attempt to come back, but it would be with another team, and his career fizzled out soon after, sadly. Joe Juno, on the other hand, a rookie season of 102 points was a finalist for the Calder Trophy, only to lose to Temu Salani, who set the rookie scoring uh, record that year, so there's no shame in that. He was having a good 93-94 season with the Bruins when he was traded to the Capitals. Sadly, however, Juno not only battled inconsistent play, but a lot of injuries along the way, too. Now, his first season with the Cap- first full season with the Capitals uh, was a strike short year. He played pretty well, 43 points in 44 games. He was a good setup man, kind of like along the lines of Adam Oates. And uh, that's what he would uh, be known for. And he had some. his seasons in Washington were at best not terrible, but at the same time, nowhere near the level that they'd hoped he'd pin out to be again. Constant injuries, and again, he had a lot of inconsistencies. He had 234 points in 312 games in six seasons total with the Capitals. Four full seasons, but I don't know if you can even really call them that because he was injured a lot of the time. His only full season, he had 64 points in 80 games. Again, not bad, but certainly not something the Caps were looking for. However, I should point out that when the Capitals made their run to the Stanley Cup Finals in 97-98, Juno was probably at his best. 17 points in 21 games. He stayed healthy pretty much through the whole thing. So they got something out of him. So at least Washington got more out of this trade than Boston did. But sadly, in the end, it just didn't really pan out for either team the way that they had hoped. But I again, I have Freddie and Boston. Harry Sinden was probably banging his head against the wall like he should have with many trades he made in the course of his career. Most overrated GM ever. Don't mind saying you Boston fans don't like it. Suck it. Uh, he I, not saying he wasn't good or even great, but I'm just saying over. Rated. He did a lot of things that set you guys back many years. Oh, but we made the playoffs all those years in a row. Yeah, that's nice. And Edmonton made you their bitches. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, and Montreal made you their bitches sometimes too. But granted, you did that to us as well. So I will be equal opportunity on that one. But yes, Joey Juno. So Washington got something out of it, even if it wasn't. It's more like a, a pie chart that's a little, a little incomplete. So, but either way. So they would part ways with Joey Juno towards the end of the 98-99 season. Now, Joey Juno was traded on March 23rd, 1999 with a third-round draft pick from uh, from Washington in exchange for Alexei Tzikov and a fourth-round draft pick in 2000, Hungarian goaltender Levente Zuper. Now, Zuper ended up uh, being part of a, co- a compensation part of a deal, so that part of the tree is cut off. Alexei Tezikov, on the other hand, a Russian defenseman, would end up playing with the Capitals, but only for 28 games. They would end up trading Tezikov in late 2001 for Jason Marshall, as a matter of fact, Jason Marshall from the Anaheim Ducks. So Jason Marshall joins the team, he's a defenseman. Uh, Marshall had an okay career, uh, he played in over 500 NHL games, had a pretty decent minor league career, too, as a matter of fact. 
Uh, mostly known for his time with the uh, Anaheim, where, of course, the Caps obtained him from. Uh, also was key in some playoff runs for the uh, Minnesota Wild, as well as the San Jose Sharks, when the, the, those two teams went to the playoffs. Two big playoff runs for the Wild, and uh, one for the Sharks in 04. So again, he was a very uh, reliable, good hand, and he was also very tough to boot. So again, I'm not going to go over too many of his stats with the Capitals. He, it was barely a cup of coffee there. He literally just played five games with the Caps to end the 2000-2001 season and didn't really contribute much. And the Caps would not renew his contract. Therefore, they didn't get anything for him. So that ends Bob Rouse's... And that's just Bob Rouse, the only non-Hall of Famer if part of this trade. Can, can you believe that? That's just Bob Rouse reflecting in, like, ally of Frady and Joey Juno. Again, guys that would actually do well for Washington. So, again, these Larry Murphy trades, despite Murphy being a top-level defenseman, and most of the teams he's being traded to are winning out on these trades, so far anyway, well, they're, these teams aren't exactly losing either in the long-term effect of things, uh, regardless. So, uh, now we go to the big star of the trade for Washington, Dynamo Dino. Dino Cicerelli. I always love Cicerelli watching him play. Yeah, he, he could be a just a dirty little asshole sometimes, but you know what? He was a lot of fun to watch. So Cicerelli, of course, for those who don't know, was a major star in Minnesota for many years. Again, involved in probably arguably the best power forward at that time. Uh, 50 goal seasons, 250 goal seasons, 200 point seasons, a couple other 40 goal seasons. Again, Cicerelli, if he at his lowest, unless because yeah, he had a couple, maybe one or two years where he was injured quite often. Uh, but even at his lowest, it was usually like the the low the low 30s would be his goal-scoring input. So Cicerelli, always reliable and always needed any team he played for. Now, Washington, I guess, felt they needed power up front. That's why they obtained him in this trade. And he would spend four seasons in Washington, three complete seasons, although he had one that was really hampered by injury, but regardless, was productive. Once again, when he was healthy, another 40-goal season, another 38-goal season to go with it. And in four seasons, he played 223 games and had 209 points and again was key in Washington's run to the conference final in the 89-90 season. So but in after the end of the 91-92 season however, he was traded to the Detroit Red Wings on June 20th, 1992 in exchange for Kevin Miller. Now, in his uh, years with the Red Wings as well as the Rangers, he was either good in goal totals for the late teens or into the early 20s. So he he was an okay 20 goal scorer that way, I guess. Uh, again, hardworking forward, mainly used as a grinder. Uh, again, penalty kills, checking. Um, throughout his career, he would actually spend a lot of time in the minors. Would have since with several other NHL teams. Uh, but either way, he was useful wherever he was. I had, even had a couple of stints in Europe. Uh, he played over 600 NHL games. He represented the United States internationally many times. So Kevin Miller had a pretty decent career. Uh, but with the Capitals, it did not pan out whatsoever. He did not last long at all into the 92-93 season. He only played 10 games and had three assists. And Washington was quick to get rid of him. And they traded him on November 1st, 1992 for one of the Cavallini boys. That's right. To the Saint, for the St. Louis Blues, Paul Cavallini. Again, uh, an aggressive defenseman, really tough. Uh, could apply a little offensive output to boot, too. 
but he did not provide much offensive output in Washington. In his only season there, the 92-93 season, he had five goals and eight assists for 13 points in 71 games. Didn't really make much of a dent in the playoffs. Washington was eliminated earlier. The Cicerelli uh, part uh, of this tree not exactly working out great for the Capitals so far. So on June 20th, 1993, the Washington Capitals part with Paul Cavallini and trade him to the Dallas Stars, the new Dallas Stars, I should say, because they had just moved to Dallas, for Paul, or sorry, <laughs> wow, Paul Cavallini is part of the trade, for future considerations, which ended up being Enrico Ciccone. I always loved saying his name when I was a kid. Enrico Ciccone, and I could always roll the R's, loved it. So Ciccone, again, known as an enforcer uh, throughout his entire career, played over 300 NHL, 374 NHL games, uh, had stints with several teams, probably best known for his stints with uh, Tampa Bay and Chicago. Uh, Washington, again, didn't last long. He didn't even, again, didn't last a full season. Uh, in in uh, 46 games, he racked up 174 penalty minutes. But again, that was what he was there to do. But I guess Washington didn't really felt he was expendable. So off he went. So the Capitals, on the trade deadline in the 93-94 season, send Enrico Ciccone, a third-round draft pick, which ended up being Craig Reichert, and, and for 1994-95 conditional fifth-round draft pick, which ended up being Konstantin Glavatsko, Neither of those panned out. For Joe Riki, Joe Riki, a defenseman from Victoria, B.C. So finally, after the initial Cicerelli trade from Washington, they after players that just not pan out and barely last a season, Washington finally gets something out of this trade. Ricky ended up being a very popular player in the city of Washington. He would end up playing with the Capitals for a total of nine seasons. He Again, he was tough. He was aggressive. He Again, Washington fans loved him. He was your tried-and-true old-school stay-at-home defenseman and, again, wasn't afraid to drop the gloves and showed his aggression. Uh, like I said, he ended up spending nine seasons in Washington, a total of um, seven complete seasons with the team, and again, was key in their Stanley Cup playoff run uh, in 97-98, where they made it all the way to the finals when they lost the Red Wings. So he was a very effective part of that team. Again, played over 515 games for the 2001-2002 season, uh, but he was traded, however... Uh, so Washington, or, sorry, from the Washington Capitals to the Chicago Blackhawks midway to the 0102 season for a fourth-round draft pick, which ended up being Peter Dvorak, who never played a single NHL game. So that cuts that off. So, uh, so again, the Bob Rouse trade really got a lot of mileage, surprisingly. Uh, like Bob Rouse being in Washington got a lot of mileage for them, leading to a lot of big trades, a lot of big players coming their way and being pretty useful for the team, even leading to their Stanley Cup finals run. And even the Dino Cicerelli one ended up being a factor in that as well, with Joe Ricci joining the team after many short-term deals that didn't pan out very well. But it's still the Washington Capitals management never gave up, but eventually got something out of it. So there you go. Both Bob Rouse and Dino Cicerelli in their time in Washington did well. And what they got for and what they got for them in exchange in the long run, as a tree kept growing, ended up paying off and again being a big part of what for many years until their recent Stanley Cup win was their only appearance 
in the finals. So there you go. So now we move to the team where they traded Murphy to. The Minnesota North Stars, again, two tried-and-true Hall of Famers in Mike Gartner and Larry Murphy. So, of course, we're going to start with Mike Gartner. Now, it was bad enough uh, irritating Washington fans, drawing their ire when they traded Larry Murphy, but Mike Gartner was practically a god in Washington. He was an icon in that town in terms of sports. Now, of course, when you think of Washington, you think of the the now formerly known Redskins, you think uh, even of the Washington Wizards, Bullets, or whatever, but the Capitals, I say, well, I say they were actually past the Wizards and Bullets, but I digress, but now, that, but now you have the Nationals and that too. Well, hockey in Washington did have an uphill climb, but Mike Gartner really helped bring it to the forefront. Washington's crowds were growing as his star was growing, and as Washington was becoming a better team around him. Again, he had speed, he had finesse, he had pure natural goal-scoring skill. He was always consistent every year. Several 40-goal seasons, a couple 50-goal, or, well, he had one 50-goal season and uh exactly sorry i'm losing count here one two three four forty goal season so again gardner was just a pure natural and he was a true uh bar i'd say for consistency he wasn't always racking up numbers even as high as say gretzky peter stassi or mike bossy or whatever but he was racking up consistent numbers and was always contributing to the capital success that being said however he had a lot of trouble come playoff time usually and i think that's what was the deciding factor in washington actually finally parting ways with him it was again late in the 88 89 season and they sent him to the minnesota north stars where he would play two seasons and not even full seasons even though he was acquired by the north stars uh in the late, the late 88 89 season on the trade deadline they got rid of him the next season at the trade deadline in 80 games for the North Stars, Gartner had 84 points. Again, a great level of consistency, still averaging a point a game. Wow, you wouldn't think this, would you? So, the Minnesota North Stars part with Gartner. So, on March the 6th, 1990, after Gartner had represented the North Stars at the All-Star game, they would trade him to the New York Rangers as the only part of that trade on that side for... Ulf Dahlen, a fourth-round draft pick in 1990, which ended up being Cal McGowan, and future considerations, which ended up being a 1991 fourth-round draft pick, Alexei Zitnik, which might sound familiar to a lot of fans in my age bracket. So you know what? Uh, with that in mind, we'll start with Zitnik. Now, Zitnik actually ended up being part of the whole compensation go around to things in the draft and we're sticking to trade tracker here plus for the sanity of everyone who has trouble enough trouble following these things as is we're just going to leave it at that so jitnik never was even picked by the north stars so again that would be the future considerations that was supposed to be their pick but again the compensation pick ended up going to the kings um and i'll just say that jitnik uh, ended up being picked by them, uh, and he'd have a pretty good career, actually. Zitnik, mainly known for his time with the Buffalo Sabres. So that ends that part of the Gardner trade. Next up, this one's still very interesting. Cal McGowan. I know some of you are thinking, who? Uh, Cal McGowan was actually a tough, aggressive uh, like forward and like a almost like a Mark Messier-type style, was actually a really good junior player for the Canloose Blazers. 58 goals and 139 points. 
uh, he had one season. So I'm sure uh, junior hockey fans in Kamloops definitely remember uh, Cal McGowan. He was, again, uh, he's from Sydney, Nebraska, uh, but sadly never played a single NHL game. So, wow, getting rid of Gardner, not exactly working out so well, but hey, how about Ulf Dahlin? Now, okay, the name Ulf is probably best synonymous with Ulf Samuelson, obviously, the most probably the most hated player in the NHL uh, this time, with good reason. He was a I hated him too. He's fucking knuckle dragger. So, sorry, getting get a little tense here. But anyway, Ulf Dallin was a, hard, a hardworking, grinding left winger. Had a long NHL career, uh, almost a thousand games, not quite. Uh, was key in many playoff runs, especially for the San Jose Sharks and their like little miracle playoff runs to the second round. That is in the mid '90s. But regardless, still effective uh, for the team. However, Ulf Dallin. Uh, ended up doing okay with the Minnesota North Stars during his time there. Uh, now, some say he's not worth a Mike Gardner, and they might be right, but be that as it may, Ulf Dallin still spent five seasons, three uh, three complete seasons, with the Minnesota North Stars, was with them all the way to their move to Dallas. He played 296 games and had 236 points. Again, for a guy who's mainly known as a grinding forward, that's actually really good. So you can't you can't, you can't complain too much. They got something out of him, even a 74-point season in 83 games uh, in the 92-93 season. And he was actually had some of his best his best years were probably with the North Stars. He was uh, again played for the Rangers, was a consistent 20 goal scorer there. But again, mostly known for his you know checking abilities and uh, stuff on the penalty kill. And he he could throw some uh, pretty good hits too, from what I remember. Uh, so yeah, he was a tall. He was tall. He was six foot two uh, with skates, probably a little taller, maybe six three, six four. So yeah, he was pretty aggressive. So the Stars got a lot out of him, and their miracle playoff run in the ninety ninety one playoffs, where uh, they made it all the way to the finals to lose to the Penguins, which I'm definitely going to be getting to in a bit. Uh, again, eight points, fifteen games. But again, he was a big part of that penalty kill. Again, he missed some games due to injury. But regardless, the Stars got quite a bit out of this guy, who people thought were nuts, getting rid of Mike Gardner for. But hey, he was he was again key and one of their biggest uh, playoff runs up to that point, anyway, in their history. But he would uh, be traded towards the end of the ninety three ninety four season, his only season as the part of the Dallas part of that franchise. And uh, he was traded on March 19th, 1994 to the San Jose Sharks, along with a 7th round draft pick for Mike Lawler, Doug Zmolek, and Cash. No, that's, that's not a name of a player, that's actual, actual Cash. So, yeah, uh, the Dal- okay, so uh, we'll start with Doug Zmolek. So Doug Smolik spent part of three seasons uh, with the Dallas Stars. Uh, again, stay-at-home defenseman, pretty tough. Uh, but didn't, uh, again, so he only had one full season there, and that was the strike-shortened year, oddly enough. Uh, so yeah, it was only his full season he played. was even technically a full season, but regardless, uh, he played 91 games. I'm not really going to go over his scoring stats, because again, definitely not what he's known for. But they would part with him late in the 95-96 season. And uh, he would be traded to the L.A. Kings along with Shane Trula for a 1996 fifth-round draft pick, which ended up being, um, sorry, ended up being Ryan Christie and Daryl Sador. Oh, now uh, Ryan Christie would actually bounce around the minors uh, for quite some time. He's actually from Beamsville, Ontario. Uh, he was a left winger. 
Uh, again, very tough, very aggressive again, in the sense of, like, say, a Marc Messier-type left winger, but never just amounted to much outside of minor hockey. He played five games with the Dallas Stars in 1999-2000. That's about as far as his career with them would actually go. Daryl Sador, though, my goodness, did the LA Kings ever get robbed on this deal? Oh my god. The Kings, I don't understand why they got rid of him in the first place. Now, Sador was actually mainly known, actually, uh, he was, uh, he was, like, he, more for his offensive uh, input as a blue liner in uh, junior hockey, but he became more of a stay-at-home defenseman who wasn't bad at racking up assists, actually, in a year. So he's pretty good in that regard as well. A, good, a really good setup, man. And we didn't have terrible offensive uh, input as well, but again, mainly known as a stay-at-home blue liner. But the Kings, oh my God, they get because he was a big fat... He, he's a playoff guy. Sador was a playoff guy. That's the thing about him that made him so good. In the 92-93 run with the Kings, which, hey, we mentioned that earlier... Daryl Sador was the, probably the most underrated part of that team. He saw 11 points in, four, in 24 games. Again, not bad, but he provided much-needed aggression that the Kings' defense needed in that playoff run. And I can guarantee Leaf fans probably don't like Daryl Sador. They don't like anybody from that 92-93 Kings team, mainly Gretzky, or shall I say Kerry Frazier. <laughs> Gotchas! Uh, no, but honestly, I'm just, I'm just chirping yes. But either way, Daryl Sador... Flew under the radar, uh, sadly. Again, he was he was uh, in a small pond being L.A. because Gretzky was gone soon after. But just not long after Gretzky was gone, so was he. And you know what? In Dallas, he spent eight seasons there. Seven complete seasons there. Won a Stanley Cup, was a big factor on the team. Again, 12 points in 23 games. Was a big factor of them going back to the finals a year later. And he played 576 games in that run for the Dallas Stars. And you know what? He had 300 points in his time there. In an era where the offensive defenseman was going by the wayside, he was still producing offensively, and his best offensive years were with the Stars. His NHL career continued. He won another Stanley Cup with the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2003-2004. was a big part of that team as well, uh, even though he actually spent a lot of that year with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but either way. So, th- like, there you have it. So now, however, I mentioned the Blue Jackets. At the end of the 2003 season, the Stars would trade uh, Daryl Sador to the Blue Jackets for Mike Sillinger... And a second-round draft pick, which was Johan Franzen. Again, that's a name I'm sure a lot of you know. So again, we're going to continue with it. Wow, this is an amazing trade tree just with Mike Gartner alone. And a trade that looked bad on paper at first for the North Stars ended up with Daryl Sador on their team. And we are not even done the Mike Gartner part of this tree, as we start to go to Mike Lawler, but we'll get to that in a bit. Now, Mike Sillinger is known as Mr. Trade Bait. That's right. Mike Sillinger was always is was probably the best trade bait player of all time, and I'm not even saying that negatively. He's a guy. He was a journeyman. Uh, again, a hardworking center. Again, mainly. Again, just you know, you need a penalty kill. Do you call on him? You need a top player check. Do you call on Sillinger? You needed somebody to you know 
to deliver a, a pretty good hit. Sillinger was pretty good at that as well. But again, he was trade bait. He was he may have been expendable, but he was talented. He had his role. He would have a few twenty goal seasons here and there. But and he played over a thousand NHL games. So really, he sadly never had much playoff success because of this. But either way, Mike Sillinger is uh, again. Whoops! Just dropped my water bottle. Of uh, Again, a fan favorite everywhere he went too. Sillinger was well loved where uh, wherever whatever team he played for, so he had that going for him uh, as well. But Mike Sillinger, he's Mr. Trade Bait so much that he never played a single game for the Stars. The very same day he was traded. Again, this is like a, this is like a normal normal time for Sillinger. He was traded to the Coyotes, Phoenix Coyotes. For Teppo Numenin. Now, Teppo Numenin, again, well-known player among hockey fans my age. However, he only played one season for the Star. Again, he was a really good, uh, uh, very talented, highly skilled defenseman. Uh, good at puck control. Uh, good at, again, good hitter, too. Um 0304 with Dallas. He played 62 games. Again, uh, 17 points. Not too bad. He was a bit better. I, I should go over his offensive output because he was known for averaging at least like close to 40 40 points a season. So in this era, that's not bad at all for a defenseman. Uh, he had a career high of 51 points at one point in his career. But again, he was a veteran. The Stars thought they could benefit from him. He didn't really do much there uh, in the ways they'd hoped, however. And he was gone after just one season with the Stars. Uh, but the Stars did not renew Newman's contract. He was a free agent, so that ends that end. So we go to Johan Franson. Now, Johan Franson, this will be interesting. And and here's the thing. He was under the Dallas Star system for a while. Now, Johan Franson was well-known for his international play. Uh, I remember him on the Olympics, even. So he was a, a well-known player, good defenseman uh, internationally. I remember reading about, like a scouting reports on him. That's why I say this was interesting that he never played a single NHL game yet. He was fairly high up in the draft, uh, 34th overall, and he never played a single NHL game. And Dallas never got anything in return for him. So kind of sad, but what can you do? So that part of the tree is cut off. <laughs> it's insane how this old Dallin thing has now led to again the likes of Daryl Sador. All the way from Mike Garner to Alf Dallin to Daryl freaking Sador. Yes. And then uh, it finally ends, however, at this point. But we go to Mike Lawler, who was part of the Dallin trade. Mike Lawler. Now, I liked, I actually I remember Mike Lawler because as a little eedy weeny knee-high to a grasshopper boy, he was part of the Montreal Canadiens rookie group of rookies that won the Stanley Cup in 85-86. And he was actually a pretty well-utilized um, member of that team. He ended up being quite the journeyman. Uh, throughout his career. And yes, he was a part of the Dallas Stars, but really didn't do anything for the longest time. And he would only play a total of, sorry, he, he would play, spend parts of three, or sorry, four seasons with the Stars. He would play a total of 142 games. Again, I'm not really going to go over his stats. He was, that's, again, he was a stay-at-home defenseman, but again, reliable, a good hand. Not like again, not a like you know a superb outstanding megastar, but again, one of those guys that is useful on your team. And he's been a part of some pretty good playoff runs with the St. Louis Blues and Washington Capitals in the past. But either way, he would actually end his professional hockey career with the Dallas Stars in 96-97. The most games, uh, he played 63 games the year prior, spent a lot of time in the minors, during his, in, and, in and out with the Dallas Stars, and his career would end, and that would be it for Mike Lawler. 
So that is it. That is the Mike Garner end of the Minnesota trade. Wow, a lot happening there. It led, helped lead the Dallas to the Dallas Stars' success as a Stanley Cup team in the late 90s, early 2000s. So there you go. You're thinking on paper this is looking good for Washington so far. Well, now I think Dal- uh, Minnesota actually is winning out on this trade, this Larry Murphy trade so far. But speaking of Larry Murphy himself, now I know some of you are saying, well, this is supposed to be a trade tracker about Larry Murphy. When do we get to Larry Murphy? He's just the focus. Like, again, he's the, the topic of this show. We're not going to be talking all the time about him. It's mainly the effect he had on these trades. So, without any further ado, Larry Murphy's time in Minnesota. Now, he had 89 points in 121 games with the North Stars over three seasons. Again, great output, once again, to no surprise. Uh, so again, but I, I guess they felt, like many teams in this time, now this is one of those trades where they felt his salary sadly just wasn't enough to, to really justify his stay with the team. The North Stars were losing money, to say the least, so they needed to cut some losses. So Murphy, like Gardner, did not spend a long time there. He spent a little longer Three seasons, but again, only one complete season, which is still more than Gardner had with Minnesota. But as we saw with Gardner, it still led to something good for the Stars in the end as his tree uh, flowed. So we'll see the Larry Murphy part, tree, the Larry Murphy Minnesota tree part of this trade. So into the 1990-91 season, not too far into it, barely, not, not even quite halfway. December 11, 1990. The Minnesota North Stars send Larry Murphy and Peter Taglianetti to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Chris Dalquist and Jim E. Johnson. Not Jimmy Johnson, Jim E. Johnson. So, of course, we're going to go over the Minnesota part of this trade. So, we'll actually start with Jim E. Johnson. <laughs> Sorry, that's just that's how the trade, the, the, that's how they list him on the trade track. He's just Jim Johnson. You know what I mean? But that's how he was listed on the trade tracker. But either way, uh, Jim, he was popular in Pittsburgh, actually. He was a very big fan favorite there for his toughness and aggression, some of the scraps uh, he would get into. Uh, again, uh, he, uh, just a, a typical aggressive, tough defenseman that every team seeks. Uh, he's someone who's useful wherever needed. And he was a big part of the Pittsburgh Penguins resurgence uh, in the late 80s. Of course, um, Mario Lemieux, Paul Coffey, uh, Rob Brown at that time. So he was a big part of that team in their rebuilding phase. However, he would not stick around. The season that things were about to get really good for them, he was traded to the Minnesota North Stars. And he would spend four seasons, two full seasons with the team, uh, even into their move to Dallas in 93-94. Um, now, he would play 247 games uh, for the Stars. Again, uh, very uh, showing big contributions. Uh, however, the Stars would part ways with him late in the 93-94 season and send him to the Washington Capitals for Alan May... All right, so let's go over Alan May. He only spent parts of two seasons, not even full seasons, uh, with the Dallas Stars. Uh, played a total of 35 games. Racked up a lot of penalty, man. That's for sure. But again, I guess that's what he was there for. But uh, late in the 90, the strike-shortened 94-95 season, he was sent to the Calgary Flames for a 1995 eighth-round draft pick, Sergei Luchinkin. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
a right winger who spent his entire pro career uh, in Russia, never played a single NHL game. Now to Jeff Duar. Uh, Duar never, uh, yeah, he never really, uh, he never played a single uh, NHL game, and that was, yeah, that was it. And uh, he ended up actually back. Uh, his rights ended up back with the Flames. Again, nothing came out of that though either. And he spent some time in the minor leagues, did okay, but actually mainly uh, just got an education at university and did okay for himself in life. So, hey, more power to him. So either way, uh, the Jim Johnson part of the trade worked out well for Johnson as a star, did okay there, but in the end didn't really pan out too far for the stars. Now, Chris Dalquist. So again, Dalquist becomes a good hand, a hard, uh, you know, a hardworking blue liner, stay-at-home kind of defenseman uh, for the Minnesota North Stars over the course of two seasons. Um, and he would he would actually do okay there in 116 games, and he was actually a part of that again that miracle run of the finals in 1991 was a big part of that team, uh, gave them some much needed uh, toughness at the at the blue line, but was a clean it was a clean kind of toughness. He wasn't known for racking up. Uh, too many penalty minutes. So he could, he could get a little tough when he had to. That was the type of player he was. But his time with the Stars would end after the 91-92 season. And uh, he was uh, released by the team and then picked up by the Flames. So the, they actually, they literally got nothing for him. So this trade, I will already say, Minnesota lost. Even though, uh, in terms of trading, actually trading Murphy as well as uh, Taglianetti. So, now we're going to get to that part of the trade. So, the Pittsburgh Penguins had now obtained Larry Murphy and Paul Taglianetti. All right, so we'll start, obviously, with Paul Taglianetti before we get to Larry Murphy. Sorry, I keep calling him Paul. It's Peter Taglianetti. I don't know why I'm calling him Paul. Peter Taglianetti. Oh, my God, I'm all over the place here. Uh, Peter Taglianetti, again. So, this this trade actually involved all defensemen. This Minnesota-Pittsburgh trade involved all defensemen. Um... Peter Taglianetti, again, very tough guy, known known for his aggression. Uh, again, he would uh, go on to actually spend uh, three seasons with the Pens, only one uh, full season. But in uh, those first two seasons with them, he obtained Stanley Cup hardware. That's right, he got the ring, ladies and gentlemen. Again, useful with his toughness, but not, um, again, more so on the lower end of the defensive side of things. But still, hey, he got something out of it, and so did the Penguins. They got some toughness on their defense to add to some depth. So in the 92-93 season, at the deadline, the Pittsburgh Penguins would send Taglianetti to the Tampa Bay Lightning for a third, 1993 third-round draft pick, which ended up being Steve Washburn. Now, Steve Washburn would never, uh, actually would never play a single game for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he would be bounced around, uh, being his rights being picked up by teams after they would always release him. Uh, he uh, bounced around a lot in the minor leagues for many years. He was a centerman, uh, more of a hardworking, grinding kind of forward. Did had a couple good stints with the Philadelphia Phantoms. In and out of the NHL, uh, 93 games total over the course of many years. Short stints with the Florida Panthers, uh, Vancouver Canucks, the Flyers. And that was pretty much about it. He so he again was more known for the minor leagues. Had some success in Europe. 
Uh, so again, the, tag, the Taglianetti part of this trade ends here. And there we go. So Larry Murphy's time in Pittsburgh. Now, some say his time in Washington was the best of his career. Some say, this is where it's arguable, some say it was Pittsburgh because Larry Murphy, for all intents and purposes, was amazing in Pittsburgh. So again, his time in Pittsburgh, well, first and foremost, got to say it. So he spent a total of five seasons in Pittsburgh, uh, four complete seasons, Two Stanley Cup rings, which he was a major factor on. Led the playoffs in plus-minus stats in that first run. Uh, had 23 points in 23 games uh, in the 90-91 Stanley Cup. 16 points in 21 games in the 91-92 Stanley Cup. So again, yes, Pittsburgh wins this trade regardless of how the tree ends up. Why? Because they end up with... Uh, with and what I mean by that is the, uh, the, the Minnesota-Pittsburgh part of this trade. The trade after this, so that's a little different story. So... Again, Larry Murphy, two Stanley Cup rings. He spent, again, like I said, spent five seasons at Pittsburgh as a second-team All-Star again in 1992-93 season where the Pens went on that record-winning streak. And in 336 games, he scored 301 points. And he truly showed what a playoff warrior he was in his time at Pittsburgh. And again, he was a second-team All-Star, actually a second time uh, during his stint in Pittsburgh in his last year with the team, the 1994-95 season. However, again... Same issue, I guess it was in Minnesota, salary problems. Big problems with salary, and this is where things, oh boy, things really, really get interesting as the next part of this trade comes to fruition. Whew. So Larry Murphy again, had to be dropped because Mario Lemieux, after a year off, was coming back. Yarmir Yager's star was skyrocketing. So they needed to clear a lot of salary space to build their team in a different direction. That being said, I think if the Pens hung on in 95-96 to Murphy, because he had that much effect in the playoffs, they would have gone to the Cup and beaten the Panthers, and they probably would have faced the Avalanche, which would have been a spectacular Stanley Cup final. Lemieux versus Sackick, Juan net for the Avs, Barras, come on. It's in it, Yager... Eh. Oh, man. Oh, man. Sorry. I got a little excited there. So, (laughs) oh, Maple Leaf fans, I hope you're listening. So, on July 8th, 1995, the Pittsburgh Penguins trade Larry Murphy to the Toronto Maple Leafs for Dmitry Miranoff. And a 1996 second-round draft pick, which ended up being Josh DeWolf. DeWolf never plays a single game for the Penguins. He's a defenseman. uh, Pretty tough. Had a good career in the minors. uh, Pretty decent career. And would retire in the 03-04 season. So, that brings us to Dmitry Miranov. Now, Miranov was a part of that big Leafs resurgence that started with Doug Gilmore in the early 90s. Miranov was well-liked by fans in Toronto, from what I recall, and was a really good defenseman. Of course, giving up Murphy, they had to get some strong defense. Now, they wanted to strengthen, give their defense a little toughness, a little depth. And Miranov was a good stay-at-home blue liner, good at blocking shots, uh, good at uh, chasing the puck along the boards. So, you know, that's what I mean. He was uh, was good that way. And uh, he was actually missed a lot. Toronto fans really liked him a lot, but he didn't spend much time in Pittsburgh. So yes, giving up one of the best defensemen in the game in Larry Murphy, uh, all Pittsburgh Penguins got out of Miranov was 
uh, again, two seasons, only one full season, 87 games. Again, not really going to go over his stats. He wasn't. Uh, he was good with assists, but not like a huge stat man. But still, uh, 40 points in 87 games uh, for Mironov. Nothing to see that there. But again, that 95-96 playoff run, Mironov was barely in effect at all. Uh, again, Murphy would have been better for them. I will always maintain that. So far, it sounds like, and spoiler, that both teams are losers in this deal. So they trade Mironov early in the 96-97 season. So the Penguins traded on November 19th, 1996. They traded Mironov along with Sean Antowski for Alex Hicks and Frederick Olsson. Interesting, eh? So we'll start with Alex Hicks here. Uh, he was, again, a tough, grinding, checking winger. Uh, he would only spend, however, two seasons in Pittsburgh, one full season. He would play a total of 113 games and would have 40 points in those games. So, again, not bad for someone who's a third or fourth line uh, player. But either way, he, uh, again, provided something in the way of depth in terms of penalty kill. But his time in Pittsburgh just didn't last long enough to really justify much of this. Again, Mironov, even though Mironov kind of bombed in the playoffs during his time in Pittsburgh, he wasn't exactly terrible either. So again, this trade really not working out well for the Penguins quite yet. So Alex Hicks, uh, he's actually placed on waivers. Uh, He actually ends up in San Jose a year later. And that's, that's about it. And he never really, his career never really panned out further than that. Uh, so he just never developed into what people hoped he would. But he, ever, however, did uh, end up in Denmark and had a decent career there and retiring in 05, 06. So there you go. So his career still materialized into something. But again, nothing for the Penguins. Frederick Olison. Now you're thinking Frederick Olison. A lot of people know who he is. And a very highly skilled defenseman. Had a really good career playing over a thousand NHL games. Again, just a, uh, a hardworking blue liner. Again, good at defending top forwards. That's what he was there to do. But his time in Pittsburgh didn't last long. He was only there for two seasons again and played 127 games. So again, they got a little something out of him. But again, Olison's time in Pittsburgh. Well, it came to an end, and before we knew it, in the 98-99 season, he was back in Anaheim as a free agent, so Pittsburgh got nothing. So this, again, so people can laugh the least for this all they want, Pittsburgh didn't get jack squat from any of this. They gave up on Mironov because he had that bad playoff, which granted, yes, that's a good reason enough, but still, they probably could have gotten more out of him if they really wanted to. Uh, so, wow, this really did not pan out very well for Pittsburgh, giving up one of the best defensemen in the game in Larry Murphy. Now, Larry Murphy in Toronto. Oh, boy. Poor, poor Larry Murphy. Now, Larry Murphy arrived in Toronto again. This team, I mentioned the Leafs' resurgence of the early 90s. It began with the Doug Gilmore trade. Doug Gilmore became a god, not just in Toronto, but all through Ontario among young Leaf fans. The Doug Gilmore t-shirts, Doug Gilmore jerseys. He was on lunchboxes. Gilmore was pretty much, on the star level, at least in the Ontario area, and I'm, I'm not saying skill level, I'm saying star level, that Gretzky was in Edmonton in some ways. I'm not kidding. He just had that aura about him. He was a hardworking killer player, but this isn't about Gilmore. This is about Larry Murphy. So Larry Murphy joined the team for the 95-96 season. Uh, the Leafs, going into the season, 
season. Still looked like a strong team. They had a dis- like um, a okay 94-95 season, nothing outstanding, not as good as the two previous seasons they had, but still, they made the playoffs. They were eliminated at first round. But the Leafs are still seen as a formidable team that has something good ahead of them. They were still coached by Pat Burns. So in the two years Larry Murphy spent with the Leafs, he played in a total of 151 games and had 100 points. Not bad. But Murphy's plus-minus stats, on the other hand, and again, this was something analyzed by every idiot on the Toronto Sports Radio Media Circuit, it was over-analyzed that he was causing more detriment than, I guess you could say, excitement or production. I should also mention that in the... In the um, 95-96 season when Toronto made the playoffs. Murphy, to be fair, in the 95-96 playoffs, Murphy played bad. They were eliminated in the first round, and he did not play well. But a lot of players didn't play well. But again, I'll admit, he did not play well at all in that series against the Blues where they lost in six games. And where Nick Kiprios, everybody loves him, tried to injure Grant Fuhr, and uh, they still lost the series. So there you go. So no, Murphy was bad in the playoffs. I do have to admit that. Um, but again, he was not as he was a scapegoat for a much bigger problem. They had fired Pat Burns late into the 95-96 season. They hired him with that lunatic Nick Beverly, or replaced him with that lunatic Nick Beverly. Um, in 96-97, things just got worse for the Leafs. They became a losing club. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs, but uh, Murphy wouldn't even make it that far. So again, Murphy was scapegoated by the media, booed mercilessly by Toronto fans, treated horribly by the fans in that city, treated horribly by the media, unfairly. But here's the problem. Joe Murphy took over as coach of the Leafs. Sorry, not Joe Murphy. Mike Murphy. Sorry, I get my Mur- I get my last names mixed up a lot here today. Mike Murphy was the coach of the Leafs, and apparently, generally, him and Larry Murphy did not get along. And it's sad to say. And they were former teammates in Los Angeles, too. Maybe it dates back to something happening there. I don't know. But either way, uh, Mike Murphy, again, a total inept jackass when it came to coaching teams. He knew nothing of what he was doing. And again, he made Murphy's time there even worse. Put it this way, his overall coaching record in the NHL is 80-124-27. and 27. Again, Mike Murphy, I'll say this is a good assistant coach in different places, but not a good head coach at all. And I honestly, genuinely, I was, I remember as a kid, I was in grade eight, I was feeling genuinely bad for the way that the Toronto fans and the media were treating him. Why was he the only one being scapegoated by the club? Why? Because you can't, you can't pressure poor Matt Sundin, who, by the way, by the way, in these couple seasons, was not near as good as people said he was. Sundin would get Sundin would have his best years when uh, Pat Quinn arrived I also, in, in Toronto. I will say that. But Sundin before that was not near as good a player as people say he was. He was really he, be, he became the Hall of Fame level player when Pat Quinn took over. But nobody scapegoated Sundin. Nobody scapegoated Wendell Clark. Nobody scapegoated Doug Gilmore, who actually ended up getting traded. Although, okay, actually, that's not fair. Gilmore was scapegoated a bit in his final time there, but not near as badly as Murphy for whatever reason. Because Gilmore was still a god in a lot of fans' eyes, and his trade to New Jersey still pissed a lot of people off. But here's another thing people forget about Murphy. Now, when he was paired with Dmitry Yaskevich, who wasn't a bad defenseman at all in his own right and was uh, well-liked among the Toronto fans too, they, he was productive. But then they stopped pairing him with Yaskevich, and he's, he just he had nothing. 
that, so that's another thing you got to look at. People don't look at that. When Murphy was with Yuskevich, he was very productive in Toronto. When he wasn't, yes, Murphy played some bad games, but not near as bad as people were making him out to be. Needless to say, Murphy's worst time in his career, both mentally and as a player, were probably with Toronto. But again, he still wasn't near as bad as people say. So the end of this, we're finally coming to the end, because here's why. At the trade deadline in the 96-97 season... The Toronto Maple Leafs trade Larry Murphy to the Detroit Red Wings, desperate to unload his contract, feeling he's not living up to the bargain Murphy desperately wants out of Toronto. Basically, Ken Holland and Scotty Bowman play Cliff Fletcher for a fool because they, you know what they get in the 96-97 season? For Larry Murphy? Future considerations that never came to be. Boy, Toronto, you got suckered out of this one. Ugh. Why? Because Larry Murphy won two more Stanley Cups, including that same year he was traded to for the Detroit Red Wings, proving to be one of the missing ingredients of that club's problems of why they were so good every year and couldn't win a cup. Even Steve Eiserman has gone as far to say that Larry Murphy was a, one of the major reasons why they were finally able to win a couple of Stanley Cups. Why? Because Larry Murphy led in plus-minus stats in those playoffs. Two more cup rings on his finger. He would end his career with the Red Wings in 2000-2001. All roads led to the hockey Hall of Fame, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Toronto Maple Leaf fans from the 90s, you can bitch at Kerry Fraser all you want, but you got, <laughs> you got your management to blame. And wow, the young hockey fan of me is really coming out in these episodes. So there you have it, folks. That is the Larry Murphy trade trees of every trade in his career. Wow. And even though the weird thing to say is, the, the Pittsburgh-Toronto thing, Toronto's still got two good years out of Murphy, whether they want to admit it or not. Okay? That's a fact. Pittsburgh barely got anything back in return. But the Leafs look only like a bigger loser because he was traded and helped a team win two Stanley Cups and was very well-liked, very well-liked, I should say, among Detroit fans until his retirement in 2000-2001. So Larry Murphy, actually, I've always liked him growing up, very talented, and again, added everything to any team he played for. Retires with over... Again, he's one of the few NHL defensemen with over a 1,000 career points. And sadly, he had to achieve that while in Toronto. And during his ceremony, the fans barely politely clapped for him. What a disgrace. So, that does it. Thank you all once again for joining me. I'm having so much fun with these. You know what? I'm going to do another. The next one I'm going to do is going to focus around some four big trades in the early 90s. The first two, no, it's in uh, a groups of, uh, two groups of two. So the first one will be when the Quebec Nordiques in their rebuilding phase, when they were becoming the laughing stock of the NHL in the 89-90 season, when they trade two of the biggest stars they had in the entire decade of the 80s, in the same season they traded both Peter Stastny and Michel Goulet. So we're going to go over those trades in the Quebec Nordiques rebuilding phase and two trades that were important to the 1990-91 season. We're going to have a trade that took place prior to that season that would be one of the biggest blockbuster trades in the history of the NHL at that point and maybe even still of all time. Chris Chelios and Denis Savard. That is going to be incredible. And that same year... Ron Francis of the Hartford Whalers 
John Cullen of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, yes. We've already gone over how big Penguins trades have worked in this trade tree for Larry Murphy, resulting in Stanley Cups. So you know, obviously, Stanley Cups are going to be involved in this discussion as well. But we'll see the long-term effects of that. Again, if any of you out there actually have trade trees that you want me to go over now, again, I'm not going to go over the ones that Steve Dangle has gone over, such as the Gretzky one and you know a few others. But... Uh, I'm trying to avoid them. Uh, if I, I might accidentally stumble upon one that I didn't know he posted, but regardless, I'm trying to avoid his trades. He might even cover the ones I've done and do a superb job as he always does. But either way, if you want to hear some trades that he hasn't done, then please let me know because I'll be more than glad to do them. This, again, was a great journey. I hope you were able to keep up. If not, I apologize. But if so, I hope you had as much fun as I did covering this. So again... I'll see y'all next time. So until next time, I am Bill Chase telling y'all, don't you dare miss it.